Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. It is a good day to celebrate in church, and I'm so glad that you are here. And as we did on Good Friday, we are joining you know millions of people today as we continue to celebrate this Easter weekend. One of the things I love about Easter is that it is a global event that recognizes such a significant thing that's taken place in human history. And we know that on Friday, you know, Jesus died, and, and, and if you know the story, he paid the penalty for sins, but Sunday... But Sunday, Sunday he rose again, and that is worth celebrating and getting excited about. And uh, I, I genuinely believe that the, the birth and death uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are three of the most significant events to ever touch human history. And what better way to celebrate that than to eat some little chocolate eggs, you know? And, uh, and it's so bizarre, and we do that. But did you know this? It is actually a biblical fact that over the Easter weekend, that if you eat, it, it, you will not put on any weight. It, it, it's, it's it, you know, it's, all right, so it's not a biblical fact, but it would be nice if it was, you know, but we do. We give uh, gifts at Easter in the form of chocolate. And uh, maybe some of you, you have kids like me, uh, and uh, I have three small children, and I do not always like giving them lots of chocolate. Um, you know, I just think that that's not good for my mental health and also for my wife's. And so that's not always good filling them up with chocolate. So, you know, at Easter time, you can actually give other gifts. We have a nephew, and our nephew is really small. His parents don't want him to have uh, chocolate yet. So we gave a book, you know, and I don't know, is that weird? Like, is it weird to give a different kind of gift? Well, it's not weird to give a different kind of gift because actually at Easter, we give gifts at Christmas, but at Easter, it's all about the greatest gifts that the world has ever been given. If there was ever a weekend for gift giving, it would be Easter. And I want to read to you what Paul the Apostle says about that gift. He says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 15. He says, the free gift. Of course, you know that's not free, right? So it's just that you didn't pay for it. So there is a free gift. You didn't pay for it, but someone did. His name is Jesus. It says the free gift of salvation is not like the trespass or in other words, sin. It's not the same. They're different. I'm going to explain that. Have you ever received a gift that you just didn't like? Have you ever received it? You got a gift that you just did not like. It was not what you wanted. I'll tell you the truth right now. I have received some really bad gifts in my life. And I'm going to tell you about them right now. I, I, I think it might have been my 16th birthday. I received a, a, like a, a box of coloring in pencils. And, and for 16, you know, and that's probably not the kind of gift that you give to a 16-year-old. I got from the same family group of, you know, th th these are people within our family. They gave to me for my birthday at my 18th. I think it was my 18th anyway. A WWF coloring in book. Is that disappointing? Would you be shocked to find that some of the pictures had already been colored in when I received it? That's not even a joke. You can't make this stuff up. This is my life. And so I've received some, some bad gifts. My brother got a rock from the same people and they told him it was a paperweight. Look, the point is, the point is, there are some bad gifts out there, but nothing could be worse 
than what Adam gave to humanity. And when I say the word Adam, I'm referring to the very first person that was ever created and put on planet Earth. Adam was uh, made by God and given one rule, one law, one thing that he was supposed to follow. And if you know the story of Adam and Eve, hands up if you know the story, just hands up. Yep, lots of you. Okay, so if you know the story, he was not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he did. And when he did, that had an, a, a roll-on effect to humanity. That impacted all of us. See, God said that there would be a penalty for breaking this one law. And the penalty for breaking that law would be death. So when he sinned, he actually brought death into the human race. But it was never intended and designed to be that way. And so with every subsequent generation, they just kept collapsing one on top of the other. No one could stand up to this issue called sin. Everybody kept making mistakes. Everybody kept struggling. And humanity was falling like dominoes. So what people did is they said to God at some point in history, they said, you know what? We know what the problem is. If you just give us more laws, if you give us more rules, then we'll know what we're not to do. And if you give us more laws, then we'll just obey those things and we'll be good and, and, and you'll love us because we'll do the right thing by you. And, and this is the way it should work. It did not work. In fact, what God did is He did give them more laws. And all that meant is that they had more laws to break, more ways to go wrong. Because you can't break a law that doesn't exist. Once it exists, now you can break it. That's exactly what people did. And this is what they discovered. The more laws we had, the more problems we had because we just kept on breaking more laws. And as a result, death had a 100% success rate. I don't feel like I really need to communicate that or over-communicate that to you today. Everyone on planet Earth knows that death has a 100% success rate. And so Adam represented humanity. And admittedly, he would not be my first pick now either, having known what he did. But since there were no other humans, then this is what he did. So Adam and Eve together, they represented the human race. And when they sinned, they gifted something to us. And the thing that they gifted to us was condemnation. Yep, no one's excited about that. No one, no celebrating, no cheers. Of course, you're not excited about it. You know, it's, it's condemnation. Do you know what that means? It means a guilty verdict. That's what we got. We got a guilty verdict because when sin entered into the world and everyone kept breaking God's laws and sinning against Him, then we were what the Scriptures would call condemned. Now, that's serious because if we're guilty, then we need to pay a penalty, right? And if you already know what the penalty is, it's death. That's why this is so serious. See, when God sent Jesus, and let me stop there for a minute because when I say the name Jesus into this room, you might be new. You might not know what His name means, but let me explain it to you for just a minute. When I say Jesus, I don't mean just someone that was really good, that spent a little bit of time on earth. I'm talking about the creator of heaven and earth, the co-creator. He was there at the beginning and foundations of the world. He is co-equal in authority and power and dominion with God the Father. This is the pre-existent Christ that was in heaven long before the world was even made. That's who I mean when I say Jesus. And that Jesus stepped out from heaven and came to earth to do something 
that for thousands of years we were never able to do, to live a perfect life, the one that we could not live, and then pay the penalty that God did not want us to pay. Why? Well, because God loves people. And so as a result, He sent Jesus to pay the penalty of our sins. And when the disciples experienced this, they were devastated. They were devastated. They could not believe that the Messiah that they had worshipped, that the Holy One of Israel, that the one who they put their trust and their faith in, I mean, Peter said, you are the Christ. They already had revelation of who He was. And now here they are. And they are watching Jesus go to the cross. They would have watched Him. And I'm thinking the whole way along, they would have watched Him wishing and hoping that Jesus would not die. I want to read a scripture to you out of John. John chapter 20, this begins in verse 1. And right now, At this point in the story, Jesus has died and the disciples are terribly devastated. They are disappointed. And it says this on verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene. Do you know who Mary Magdalene is? Mary Magdalene, who is the adulterous woman that the religious leaders caught in the act of adultery and dragged her before Jesus, threw her down at Jesus' feet while he was still alive. And they said, the law says we should condemn her. What do you say? Here's the interesting part. Rather than condemning her, Jesus says, I'm not here to judge you. He says, go and sin no more. That Mary the Mary that was broken, the Mary that didn't look like she had a future in anything that we would consider to be godly, that Mary. Can I tell you something today? When you come to Jesus, please don't think that you need to come to Him with all of your life in order. He came so that He could bring order to the parts that were out of order. You don't, listen, you don't need to fix yourself today. If your plan in when it comes to church or before you get into church is you're going to fix yourself, you will never make it here. None of us can be fixed. That's the whole point. We need Jesus. And so Jesus said to Mary, Magdalene, I'm not going to judge you. Go sin no more. It was she that came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, also the one that wrote that line. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. She didn't even have the faith to believe that he was resurrected. Mary says, I've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going together to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Nobody knows why it was important for him to write that. I think, I don't know if he understood at the time that he was writing scripture, but he just wanted everyone for all time to know that he was faster than Peter, that he could outrun him. I just wanted to let you know that I was faster than Peter thousands of years ago. It says in verse five, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. 
He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head and not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I love that Jesus is a neat freak before he ascends. But he, seriously, he just came back from the head and he folded his face cloth. That's nice. And so anyway, it says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand. Everyone say did not understand. The scripture that he must rise from the dead. Oftentimes, God is doing something better than you think he is. He's doing something better than you think, and you don't always know what he's doing. He's just doing something better than you think. He's often doing something better than it looks because often when we look and we see what we think we see, we say, God, I don't know where you're at in the process, but it seems you may have had a lapse in judgment because you're not taking care of business. God is doing something better than it looks. I'll tell you right now, I am so glad that there have been many prayers that I've prayed that God has not said yes to. Because if he said yes to all of my prayers, I probably would have been settling for something less than what he was prepared to give to me. But I can only pray about what I see. And I gotta tell you, sometimes we don't see things as they really are. Did you ever consider that the disciples, when Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, that when they took him off, they probably got together. And I'm guessing at some point they said, God, don't let this be. And then they took him before the Sanhedrin and he was judged there by religious leaders. And they said, ah, they found him guilty. And he was saying, no, don't let this be. Then they took him to Pilate. He didn't find him guilty, sent him to Herod. He couldn't find anything on him, sent him back to Pilate. And eventually they said, we'll have him scourged. And they did. And as he was whipped and beaten, I bet the disciples were there saying, God, don't let this happen. This is your son with whom you're well pleased. Like, don't let this happen. You can't let Jesus be beaten like this. And then they sent him to the cross to die. And I wonder if they were saying, it's the 11th hour. God, right about now, it would be so good if you could just show up. Don't let Jesus die. If Jesus dies, it will be a tragedy. That's what they would have been praying. And God would have said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The tragedy would be if he never dies. Because if he never dies, then everyone's going to have to pay the penalty for their sin. And I love people too much to let that happen. So I'm going to let him die. It's not what you thought it would be. It's so much better than that. We need to understand that sometimes God is doing something so much better than what we think. And I need you to remember something today. It's in God's hands and it's never out of His control. And when I said it, I meant the word it. I just thought I'd use the word it because it was an all-encompassing word that would encapsulate every situation that you could possibly think of that you think is outside of His control. Do this for one minute. Shut your eyes. I want you to think about something that seems like it's out of God's control. And now I'm going to tell you, I promise you, He knows exactly where you are. He knows where you're at. And nothing that you can think of right now is outside of God's control. You can open your eyes again. Everything that He does is in His hands. It's in His control. See, on Friday, the disciples were broken as they watched their Messiah be crucified and hung on a cross. On Saturday, they were devastated. I don't know if you've ever been like that. 
Have you ever been rocked by news that is so devastating it caused you to rethink what you previously held to be true? It's like maybe some of you have had an experience in your life that made you reconsider whether God's even real. How could this be? How could this be real? If I had to go through all this, if they had to go through all this, maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's someone you love, but a situation that's so devastating. If you've ever felt like that, maybe you feel like that today. I tell you what, you're in good company because plenty of people have, and I promise you the disciples on Saturday were devastated. It was devastating on Saturday, but by Sunday, they were celebrating. They were celebrating because what they thought they saw was not what God was doing. He was doing something better than they possibly imagined. And He came from death to life and was resurrected. And you know, the moment that He was resurrected, it was like confirmation of everything that Jesus had said and all the promises that He had made. It was the confirmation of those things. So you need to know that if if death can't hold Jesus and that had reigned supreme, no one could defeat death. And yet if Jesus has defeated death, then death is done. It's over. And the good news for people is this, whatever He did, we will follow. So the Scriptures say, hey death, where's your victory? Where's your victory now? Where is your victory, O death? We see that people can be stung by the problem of sin and yet they go on to eternal life. That means that everything from the promised justification that God would give to people to eternity, it means that it's real. It means that that's it. And when I say the word justification, you might be here today, you're new to church, you're like, I, I, don't, I have no idea what that means. That's okay. A lot of church people probably feel the same way. They don't know what it means. So let me explain it to you for one minute. Justification means that Christ paid the penalty for our sin so that you didn't have to pay that penalty anymore. The penalty was death and that's why He died. And if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, that means that penalty was already paid for by Him. And I know that that penalty happened before you were even born. But here's the thing that you need to understand. The magnitude of God coming to earth and dying on the cross for our sins was so significant that there is enough grace on that cross that thousands of years later, when you would make mistakes, there is enough grace there not to just cover every sin that was ever committed historically, but every sin that would ever be committed in the future. There is enough grace on the cross to cover all of that. So no matter what you've done, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter the guilt and the shame that you carry, I promise you this, there is enough grace from God to fix your problem today. But that's only half the story. That's only half of what justification is. See, justification means not only does He take all of your punishment, but when He was on earth, He lived a perfect life, a sinless one. And He does an exchange where He takes all the punishment that was given to you, but He gives you all of the perfection that was on Him. And when you get the perfection of God on you, it means that you start to find favour in God 
you start to find favor in Him. See, everything that Christians believe, it hangs on the cross. It hangs on the death, the burial, and most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There have been people over time in history that have died for what they believed in, but no one died, was buried, and resurrected in the same way that Jesus was. Sure, don't get me wrong, people may have been brought back to life again, but only to die a second time. But the life that Jesus was resurrected to means that He will never die again. Here's where, come on, here's where this gets exciting for you. If it happened to Him, it'll happen to you. This is the secure foundation of eternity. And if you don't understand what this means and you're new and you're like, okay, so, so what does this mean? Are you ready for it? It means that God loves you. That's what it means. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. And whoever, I love how broad that term is. And whoever would believe in Him would not perish eternally. You wouldn't perish eternally. Why? Because your sins have already been paid for. Would not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. The reason why Jesus came was because God loved you. Because God didn't want people to pay for their sins. I want to read one more scripture to you. This comes out of Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Or in verse 15, it says this. But this, the free gift that was not really free, that Jesus paid for, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, let me read that again. For if many died through Adam's sin, because through his sin came death. For if many died through Adam's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, that man that we call Adam. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That's the guilty verdict. After Adam's sin, we had a guilty verdict. But the free gifts following many sins brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass or sin, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, therefore. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that means all people, all mankind, men, women, everyone. So one act of righteousness leads to one justif leads to justification and life for all men. It says, For as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. I think it's so important to understand this, this point here. If if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be the least self-righteous person on planet earth because you should know that all of your righteousness doesn't come by you. Your righteousness comes by what Christ has done for you. Now the law came to increase the trespass. More laws, more sins, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let me read that again. I don't know if any of you are excited about this today, but it says where sin increased. This, see, the thing is, this is probably only relevant to people that have sin in their life. 
Maybe that's why you didn't get so excited, but, but for everybody that's got sin in their life, maybe I'll just read that sentence again. It says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One man, through one man came sin and by sin came death. And then by another man that we call Jesus. One death for all sin, for all time. That means that whoever is here today and honestly in their heart, they know that there is stuff in their life that they wish that they never did. For anybody that's here that feels like they've got guilt in their life, for anyone that struggles with shame, for anyone that's here today that has a secret addiction but feels like they can't come into the presence of God because they know how righteous He is and they feel guilty about that, let me give you some good news today. His grace is more than sufficient for you. It is more than enough. There is so much grace in the cross that no matter what you've done, no matter where you stand today, no matter what you think about yourself, it is done, it is finished, you are forgiven. There is grace in abundance for you. For where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Oh, that's why we call it good news. We call it good news because God loves people that don't have to pay the penalty for their sin and you are forgiven. I imagine Paul writing this, the Apostle Paul writing this and getting a little bit excited, maybe even a little bit giddy as he started to think about what this means. If he sent this as an SMS, it would have had a double hand emoji like, because, because he would have been so excited about this point. He would have been so pumped. He says, you know what the future is going to be like for people that have a relationship with Jesus, to know that their chains are gone, that they would not be held back by their sin anymore, to know that they would be justified, forgiven for their sin, and yet where the righteousness of Christ, those are people that can change the planet. Those are people that will carry the grace of God with them wherever they go and share that good news. Oh, I tell you right now, I reckon Paul was excited because he knew that in this thing alone, in the cross that people would find freedom. And not only would they find freedom, but they would find favour. For some of you today, it might be hard to imagine that the favour of God is on you. But if you know who Jesus is and you have a relationship with Him, you have the grace of heaven and the favour of the Lord Jesus Christ on you today. I want you to do something for a minute. Just close your eyes. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.